Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride this Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey. We're spread out today, too. I'm in Stillwater, Oklahoma. i got SEC Big 12 Challenge tomorrow. I'm doing the South Carolina at Oklahoma State game. Haydad is in Starkville. Rippey is in Oxford. And Michael Borky is making it all happen from the Palatial Studio X in Jackson. Glad to have you along for the Ride Sports Talk, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you are in the land market and you're in North Mississippi, well, then Mississippi Land Bank may be the way for you to go because they've been financing land for over a 100 years. It's not just if you're buying property. It could be that you are uh, building a dream home. It could be that you're building a cabin. Maybe it's a shop on a piece of land. Maybe you're uh, you're doing something, uh, some improvements to land. Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of that. You can find them again online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Happy Friday, Borky. Yeah, happy Friday. It's finally here, man. This was a, a long and slow week for me for some reason, but actually looking forward to watching college basketball tomorrow, which is something that I don't say very often. Yeah, and a bunch of games tomorrow. You got ten games in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. You've got two big SEC games. Well, one big SEC game, two SEC games. Mississippi State and Auburn is the big one. That's happening tomorrow night in Starkville. We're going to get into that coming up a little bit later um, this afternoon. It, you know, it's kind of strange when you think about it. Since about the third week of August, we had some form of football every single weekend. Last weekend, you had the championship games. The week before that, it was a division round. The week before that, you had the, um, uh, the the wild card round. And before that, it was the national championship game and all the bowl games before that. And then, of course, you know, going in reverse, you had all of college football's regular season and the NFL's regular season. Now you've got this dead week, the week off between the end of all of football and then the grand finale of the football season, the Super Bowl, which comes up next Sunday night. Now... I don't know if you count the Pro Bowl, which is happening this weekend as not or this weekend as football or not. I guess technically it's football this weekend, although I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I watched even one snap of the Pro Bowl. I have no idea where it's being played. Is it in Hawaii this year or is it somewhere else? Help me out, Rippy. I think it's Orlando. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they moved it, uh, I think, beginning last year to Orlando in Camping World Stadium, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because that's where everybody wants to go to celebrate (laughs) being named a a Pro Bowl guy. I mean, Camping World Stadium. We just beat on our bodies for 17 weeks, and now you get to send me to Orlando. To be fair, I I agree Hawaii's probably a little bit better, but as far as like a family-friendly thing, at least there's like the Disney thing going on. Not all bad. There are a few family-friendly things to do in Hawaii, too. I've not been, but I've always been told that it's a pretty good spot to go for a vacation. Well, just existing in Hawaii sounds like a pretty good thing to do with the family. 
Yeah, not a uh, not a bad way to go. We're going to hook up with uh, Hey Dad coming up in uh, just a little bit, and uh, we've got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Borky mentioned uh, you have the um, uh, you you have the slate of basketball games. Buddy of mine sent me a text and reminded me that you do have the Senior Bowl going on this weekend. So if that's what you're looking for from a football standpoint, that's more of like a showcase or an exhibition for NFL teams. But if you want to watch college players one last time before they turn pro, uh, you can do that. I was flipping channels in the um, in the hotel a little while ago, and like Fox Sports Southwest was showing a replay of some all-star game. I wasn't even – I don't know if it's one that I've even heard of before. I think they were labeled as the American team and the national team, but whatever. So there is some football that is still floating around uh, out there, I suppose. Uh Pretty big news on the golf front as it relates to Mississippi. We talked yesterday about the fact that Braden Thornberry was making his professional debut uh, out at Torrey Pines this week in the Farmers uh, Insurance Open. He's got a round going today. Through 12 holes, Braden Thornberry is minus four on his round. Yesterday, he was uh, one under. He shot a, a one under 71 on the south course. Today, he is on the north course and is uh, is really playing well. Uh, he's got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six holes left in his round and uh, a chance to kind of move up the leaderboard. Pretty, pretty impressive. And, Rippy, I know you said yesterday when we were talking about this that the goal for Braden Thornberry is to get as many uh, web.com tour events as possible because that's the most likely way of, of playing your way to the tour by either finishing high on the money list or, or getting a win or two in that scenario. There is an alternate path if you really take advantage of these sponsors' exemptions and knocking out a couple of top tens. You're talking about real money and also being attractive to tournaments that have really big purses that might want to bring you in on a sponsors' exemption. Yeah, sure, and the, the whole big paycheck thing is, is pretty cool, too. Like I mean, a top. Well, yeah. fi- I mean, you're I mean, talking the- a top fifteen, like in a PGA Tour event. Obviously, is is you know night and day versus top ten on a web tour in terms of monetary value. I, I guess what I was saying yesterday was just kind of you know the the clearest path to the tour with the way it's set up now is the web.com. But yeah, sure, there there certainly is a path if you if you make enough money in the event slotted to him on the big tour. I think it's okay to say this. I don't think this is a story that, that is like breaking news or anything like this. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm pulling for Braden Thornberry big time. And it's not because he played college golf at Ole Miss. It's because Braden Thornberry is a little bit different than some of the guys that you saw growing up playing golf. I mean, the, the image that a lot of people have for youth golfers that ultimately end up on the PGA Tour is they grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth and they lived at the country club and they had private lessons and their parents hauled them all over to all of these you know high-end events at really good golf courses. That's not necessarily the case. Now, I, I'm not making light at all, or, or um, I don't think I'm saying anything out of school, but Braden just came from a very working-class family and has just kind of been a grinder on the golf course and has gotten better and better as his career has gone along and now the opportunity to, to see a guy have all of that pay off, and you know that his parents have made some pretty significant sacrifices along the way for him to be able to play golf the way uh, that he has to this point, that makes it a really cool story. 
And he's a good guy on top of that. He's just the player that's going to be easy, I think, for lots and lots of people to cheer for, regardless of whether he makes the PGA Tour this year or it's two or three years from now. And his swing itself is kind of reflective of all of those things you just said, right? Because, you know, you grow up in a day and age where all these kids have swing coaches and, you know, it looks like it's kind of almost robotic and all of them look the same. And obviously his swing is very unique and, you know, was made by him and, and him only. Yeah, yeah. And, and hey, you, wanna, you want one more thing to like about Braden Thornberry? He plays fast. So if, if watching Kevin Na makes you, I don't know, like break out in a cold sweat because he plays so slowly, uh, that's not Braden Thornberry. He kind of visualizes the shot, gets over it, and hits it. He looks at a putt, decides the line that he likes, gets up there, and hits it. And it's a, a formula that has worked uh, pretty well for him. What else is coming up this afternoon? We're going to talk with Richard Williams from the Mississippi State Radio Network. We'll talk about the Bulldogs matchup with Auburn tomorrow night. Also, Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register covers Iowa State. That is Ole Miss's opponent tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Are you interested in gambling? Well, not like necessarily point spreads and over-unders. You always get the crazy prop bets for the Super Bowl. We'll take a look at what some of those are. DK Metcalf appears to have some good news, according to NFL Draft Scouts. Looks like he is going to be headed for the combine, and given the severity of his injury back in October, uh, that certainly is uh, is newsworthy. Uh, final major college baseball preseason poll is out. We'll look at that. I'm interested to see this. Uh, this this story is not one that I've read yet that Michael brings to the table, and he says Vegas is about to be a college football landmark. You have my attention. Uh, a little bit of news out of the Rams Saints. There was a fine. Yes, there was a fine, but there is still no statement that has been handed out from the NFL. So, a lot of good stuff coming up with you this afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That's the ceasefire text line. we got more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. We'll talk basketball in the 5 o'clock hour today on the Farm Bureau phone line with Richard Williams, color analyst for the Mississippi State Radio Network, and with Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register. He covers Iowa State, columnist there, and uh, that's coming up a little bit after 5 o'clock this afternoon. I think we've got Brian Haydad all squared away now. What's up, Haydad? Happy Friday. I'm here, guys. We can do the show now. I'm here. <laughs> Good. I, I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to make it through those first 20 minutes without you, but we did. We, we persevered you started the show without me? and we made it. What kind of sick, tasteless joke is that? Hey, Dad, look, no. I can't help it that your watch is off and you forgot that the show started at 3 Don't o'clock, not 3.20. Don't even blame me. No, sir. I was locked in ready to roll. All right, so boys. Glad to be here, you guys. you, yes, you Saints fans in particular. Here we, go. Here we go. So although the NFL has yet to comment publicly about the Saints-Rams game, they have handed down a bit of a punishment. Not a punishment for the officials, not a punishment for any of the people speaking out on behalf of the Saints, but a punishment for Rams cornerback Nickel Roby Coleman. He has been fined $26,739 by the NFL why? Oh, Not because of pass interference that wasn't called. 
Yes, I thought so as well. $26,739 for a helmet-to-helmet hit on Tommy Lee Lewis, the Saints receiver, that was not flagged during the championship game. That's according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. You know all the story that goes along with this. What, what are we supposed to make of this that the NFL still has not released any sort of an official comment about the officiating gaffe, but they have handed down a $26,739 fine to the guilty defensive player, Roby Coleman, for his hit, helmet to helmet. My first thought is something completely away from the Saints, and that's if I'm like one of the members or one of the heads of the NFL Players Union, I don't think the NFL should be able to find people for plays where penalties weren't called. I don't think that should be allowed. I mean, they didn't call a penalty. Why am I being fined? That, that's something I would look into if I was the players' union. As for the other side of this, as far as the NFL not issuing a statement, what, what do we expect? It's a big load of, it's a big load of you-know-what, and it just is what it is, and nothing else is going to come of it. I don't have a problem with the fine as it stands on its own. And, hey, Dad, I mean, if it wasn't in the rules where they could do that, they wouldn't have just handed down this fine to try and quiet the masses. I mean, obviously, I mean, the Players Association may not like it. That may, may, may be something they want to bargain for in the yeah, future. in the future. But yeah. the NFL has the ability to go back and fine for hits on quarterbacks or hits on defenseless players or helmet-to-helmet combat. Uh, com- combat. Helmet-to-helmet contact. I guess it could be combat, but you understand what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's within their rights to do that and within the bylaws to do that. But to me, it's a slap in the face to football fans. And this is the thing. To me, this is the thing that is most disturbing about the NFL. It feels like on a fairly regular basis – from their Madison Avenue offices in New York, Roger Goodell and the executives at the NFL corporate offices are just really content to take their middle finger and stick it straight in the air in the direction of fans. And it's like they don't take into account the fact that fans are the reason that their sport exists. I mean, I don't disagree with you. But, I mean, it's, it's been that way, you know, at the end of the day, fans are the reason that the, the, the sport exists, but there, there is no impetus among fans to stop watching. There just isn't. You know, I know that, yeah. you know, last year there was a lot of controversy about the national anthem and everything, and then this year ratings were up across the board. So, you know, people aren't, unless people are going to stop watching the sport of football, and, and, and make it clear that we're not watching because of this, nothing's going to happen. And, and that's true of every sport. That's true basically of any, of any business, you know, of, of any business that, that takes a, yeah. a political stance that people don't like until you hit them where it counts, which is in the pocketbook. Who cares? Yeah, like, like Starbucks would be an example. You know, they've made contributions to political organizations that lots of people that are conservative don't like. And there are a few people who go, you know what, I'm not buying Starbucks coffee anymore. But by and large, people want their cup of of coffee from Starbucks. And so are you going to cut off your nose to spite your face in order to take a stand? Well, I guess it decides 
uh, you, you have to decide how committed you are to that stand. Rippy, do you have a thought on this with, with regard to the NFL handing down this fine but still not making a statement? I mean, y'all pretty much hit on it, but it does seem kind of silly. And it's it's like, in a way, it's like finding something that didn't actually happen, even though we all know it happened and it shouldn't have been a penalty, but within like the framework of the game, if it didn't get flagged in the game it seems dumb to penalize him after the fact, particularly in a moment like that when everyone after the game is very upset about it not being flagged. But I don't know. And I imagine that this probably doesn't make Saints fans feel too much better. Like, this is not really a good consolation prize. Yeah. I had a feeling it was coming, though. I, I knew because he did hit him helmet to helmet, so I thought that there would be some sort of review on that. And But, I mean, it, it, you're right. It's 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 just sort of a – a really wimpy consolation prize. Nothing's going to come of it. So. It's an admission of guilt without hey. actually admitting guilt. That's correct. It's like getting in a fight with yes. your with your wife or girlfriend, and you were definitely wrong. But instead of saying you are wrong, you say something like, "Well, you know, we should both do better." <laughs> or one of those. That's a you power know, move. I'm, I'm sorry that you were offended, kind of thing. Yeah, like you're not a- actually sorry. You're sorry that you were offended. <laughs> Yes, but let's not lose sight of the fact that they have not that this isn't this fine is not for the non-pass interference call. The fine right, 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 right. is for the helmet to helmet contact. And let's be clear for a second, how many Saints fans care at all about the fact that Tommy Lee Lewis got drilled in the head by another helmet? None of them. Well, isn't it no the Saints fact fans that care about that? Well, they don't care, care if he got a concussion. I don't care, care they didn't call a, a, a throw a flag on that. They could have thrown a flag for interference or for helmet to helmet. I don't care what the flag was for. But that's you're right. That's all I cared about was getting. And that's true about football all the time, though. You know, we 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 talk about player safety and all that. But at the end of the day, we just want to watch the game. And if somebody gets hurt, well, especially at the pro level, my, my I'm one of those that's just like, well, they they make a lot of money. They should be all right. And I, I just I keep watching the games. <laughs> They make a lot of money. They should be all right. You accept inherent risk. I, I've always been on the side of these guys are like the gladiators of old, man. They, now, those guys, didn't, they didn't have the, uh, the multi-million dollar salaries and all that, but you sort of know what's, you know, especially nowadays, as much education there is about what football is and what it does to you. If you choose to play football, you choose to play football. That's, that's how I sort of look at it. Yeah, I, I suppose that's fair enough. I, I just I hadn't really thought about it that way. Saints fans, and this is not surprising, just wanted a penalty. Didn't care which one. You know, you could not call the pass interference, and people would be like, oh, that's really dumb. But you called the helmet-to-helmet contact, you got the personal foul, you got the first down, and you're going to the Super Bowl. The fact that neither was called obviously made everybody mad, and nobody was concerned about the fact that you didn't get the call on a guy when he got drilled in the helmet by another helmet. It was about the fact that you didn't get the penalty that gets you to the Super Bowl. No concern from fans about Tommy Lee Lewis's health. And I imagine from a Saints fan perspective, that's what, like, of course most of the frustration is the moment and when it happened, but, like, part of the frustration behind it has to be there's, you know, multiple things you could have called there, and neither one got called. Yeah, and it didn't help that Tommy Lee just popped right back up 
as if right. nothing happened. Yeah. And Chris, did you see what he was Chris, fine? I mean, Chris Collinsworth went on the Dan Patrick show the next day and said, if Tommy Lee would have laid on the ground for a while, he may have gotten the call. So that's what he did wrong in that situation. <laughs> Do you not think there's something to that? I'm not saying he did anything wrong, but like if he lays on the ground for a second and acts like he's like, you know, seeing stars are out for a second because the officials did congregate for a brief second after that happened as if there was some discussion as to whether something might be thrown. If that guy's still on the ground, don't you think? I mean, to me, that would help sell it. I'm not saying he did anything wrong by popping back up, but like, I think some acting might have helped. Yeah, I mean, it helps James Harden. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, that would have I been mean, a very floppers football move. Yeah. That's more of a football play than a football play. And then, oh, I guess you guys saw the news, government shutdown is over. But while the government shutdown was still going on, I know there's still some work that has to be done to officially end it. Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, what is this guy doing? He's speaking to an audience of like two, it appears. He's got the times picking you in front cover blown up and then the picture blown up even more. And says, what happened in my belief and the belief of many was the most blatant and consequential blown call in NFL history. That's what Senator Cassidy was worried about today. Good work. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer Inspired. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad on your radio on this Friday afternoon. So, Haydad, we um, have not talked about this on the air, talked briefly about it before the show began, and kind of wondered a little bit, what, what do you do with this? There is a little noise that is floating around with regard to potentially another Mississippi State assistant coach leaving Joe Moorhead's staff to potentially go and join Nick Saban at Alabama. What's the latest? Yeah, there was a report earlier today from uh, from BamaOnline.com, the 24-7 site over there, and uh, it looks like Brian Baker is at least, I guess we would call him a candidate for, for the Alabama defensive line coach's job. Now, that job is not currently open, but apparently the rumor mill over there expects that to come open after signing day, one of those classic moves where – he signed a bunch of kids and tell him, hey, you're going to play for him, and then he's out the door You know, five minutes later. I don't know if he'll leave a pencil on the desk. I haven't gotten that information yet. Um, sure. That said, Baker, I know, you know from talking to MSU people today that he is in Starkville. He's working for MSU this weekend. MSU has a huge recruiting weekend. Most of their top unsigned prospects or uncommitted prospects are on campus this weekend, and they're trying to you know put the finishing touches on the 2019 class. So we would call Bacon Baker a, a person of interest or a, a, a candidate. I don't know if he's the top candidate. I don't know if he's the leading candidate. And I don't know if he's been offered the job, but I know that his name is, is out there in speculation to go to Alabama. All I know is that he's been on staff at Mississippi State for the last three years as the defensive line coach. He's got a, an NFL pedigree. And the defensive line's been pretty good for the last three years. Yeah. And, you know, he just just signed an extension earlier this week. He and Bob Shoup signed extensions with Mississippi State. And so, you know, you thought maybe, okay, well, that's that's done and it's wrapped up. But it just goes to show in the coaching industry that, you know, when we talk about a fluid situation, I mean, you go from signing an extension to possibly walking out the door in, in less than seven days. And so we'll have to see what happens. 
uh, with that. Like I said, I've talked to people at MSU. When I talked to them, they hadn't heard anything about it. I talked to some people who cover Alabama at the, earlier this morning. They had not heard anything about it, but it's one of those, I guess you'd call it a developing story uh, in the journalism world. So we'll see what happens with Baker. That would be a big loss for MSU. There's no, there's no way to, to sugarcoat that like, because, like you said, you know, Baker came at the same time that, that Jeff Simmons showed up, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, they're, that they both, you know, sort of lifted each other up, and then Montez Sweat and those guys. But when you look at MSU's defensive line this past year and the depth that they had and how good they were down to the seventh, eighth, ninth guy, you know, those guys are the ones who are going to be starting this coming year. And, I, you know, I'm, I've gone on the record and said I don't think there's going to be that big of a drop-off from, from this year to last. So... Baker is a huge part of that, and you know he's well respected both by other coaches, by by his players, by the you know the fan base likes him. So yeah, it'll be a big loss if he is in, indeed headed to Tuscaloosa. Is his value more in coaching and developing or on the recruiting front? Coaching and developing. He's a good recruiter. Don't get me wrong. He, you know he's he's solid, but he 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 really has done well. When you look at MSU's defensive line, like I said, when 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 you tell me that you know. Your starting defensive line is going to be, you know, Kobe Jones and, and Chauncey Rivers and Fletcher Adams and Lee Autry. The guys who were the backups last year, and I'm telling you, they're not going to be that big of a drop-off from Simmons and Sweat, who are both first-round picks. And I'm being honest about that. I'm, I'm not sugarcoating that or maroon glasses and putting on the maroon glasses or anything. Baker is a really, really good defensive line coach. He knows how to develop those guys into – SEC and then into pro players. I, I really, if I had to pick a guy who was the best at developing talent, because, I mean, Simmons was a five-star guy. He was going to be good wherever he went. But, I mean, think about how dominant he was at times. I attribute a lot of that to Brian Baker. Who is the best recruiter on that staff right now? Porky, we there? Yeah, we may have lost. Hey, hey, Dad, I'm just kind of curious what he would say or who he would say is the best recruiter um, on that staff. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. Again, that is the C Spire uh, text line. Uh, somebody said with regard to signing a contract and then moving on, Saban did it to the Miami Dolphins. Well, he hadn't signed an extension. He just said he wasn't leaving, wasn't leaving, wasn't leaving, and then he left. Um, John uh, in Oxford uh Thanks, John. You say you like it when all four of us are on the show for the entire three hours. Doesn't work out that way every day, but uh, you say you like it in that format. We're having fun with that as well. It's something that we've kind of played with a little bit. It's a little bit harder to pull off during football season uh, when you've got practices going on and press conferences going on, and that's happening about three days out of the week. Uh, but we made a conscious decision after football season to uh, to give this a go and uh, you and others have uh, responded kindly to that, so appreciate the uh, the message. Hey, have we got Haydad back? Not or yet. No? Okay. Look um, what happens when you leave the state. Everything just craps the bed. Yeah, I get to sit in Richard's chair though. Does it? Is it more comfortable than the one you normally sit in? Feels more powerful. It's the same chair. Don't think like, so. Literally, it's the same chair. But it feels different when it's somebody else's. Like, yep. I'm sitting in the exact same kind of chair that is on the other side, but when I get to go to the other side, it does feel different. And it's like six inches taller than this one. That's a big deal for me. <laughs> Changes everything. <laughs> 
You can uh, you can tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S. That's the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. So we got this text just a second ago. I asked Kate the question. I said, "So, who is the top recruiter on the Mississippi State staff?" And this is what you heard. So the text said, "Perfect spot for a long pause of silence." <laughs> well played. Uh, well, well played. Uh, Darren asked if you think that Saban has been courted by the new pro league. Um, I, you know, maybe somebody had the courage to ask him. He's not interested in the, some developmental league or, or upstart league. You're talking about the most powerful coach in college football, one of the most powerful coaches in football, period. If Nick Saban wanted to make a move, he could make a move, but it would be to the NFL. It wouldn't be to the Birmingham Iron or the Memphis Flyers. Is that what they're going to be? No. Express. Oh, I'm sorry. Memphis Express. That's right. Little play on uh, a big company up there. You may have heard. Yeah, a little, little bit of a, uh, a tip of the cap to uh, to FedEx. No, uh, no question. Um, so Super Bowl prop bets. We're not going to have time right now to get to all of these. Rippy, this is right up your alley, though, right? Gatorade colors and such? Yeah, and such. Um, some of them are really interesting. Some of them, not so much. Super Bowl winner plus the S&P 500 market close <laughs> on the Friday before the Super Bowl. Patriots win, market's up. Patriots win, market's down. Rams win, market's up. Rams win, market's down. So you can do with that whatever you want. Uh, this is one that's interesting. James, Hart, James Harden is on a tear. In fact, earlier this week, the total number of points set for James Harden in a game as a, as a prop bet was 41.5. It was the highest individual player point total ever. He had 37 points at the end of the third quarter and did not play in the fourth quarter. And and so the under on that hit, they've set it again at 41.5 tonight for him coming back onto the game. But he's been on a, a red-hot streak of scoring 30 points per game. James Harden's streak or the Super Bowl, which will end first, 30-point consecutive games for James Harden or the actual end of Super Bowl 53. That's actually a really, really, really good one because Chris Paul will be back maybe this weekend, if not the middle of next week. Okay. So Harden won't feel like he has to do everything by himself. He went three consecutive games with scoring points without somebody assisting him on the point scored. Three games without one of his buckets coming from an assist. I mean, that feels ball hoggish, but that's just the player he is. Yeah, that's kind of how they have to do it without Paul. I mean, there's other there's other players on that team, but yeah, when Chris Paul comes back, that makes that one more interesting because he's had to do it all himself lately. Total number of tweets from Donald Trump on February 3rd, 2019. Over or under 6. Going to go under. Because the government, you know, it all depends. Doesn't it all depend on whether or not he wakes up at four o'clock in the morning with something on his mind? Yeah. What is the content on Fox and Friends on Sunday morning? Yeah. Good point. Uh, price of Bitcoin at the end of the game is it higher or lower than when the game began? 
All right, Rippy, this one's for you. What color Gatorade, Powerade, whatever the corporate drink uh, is of the NFL, what color gets poured on the winning coach? Ooh. Um, I'll go blue. Okay. Plus 400, the odds on that. The longest odds are for purple. At plus 1,000, you bet 100 bucks. it's purple, you win 1,000. We'll look at some more of the Super Bowl prop bets when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Rolling with you into the 4 o'clock hour on this Friday afternoon. Weekend is almost here. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey had some technical issues with Haydad. I think that's probably because I'm on the road and it messed something else up. So I apologize for that. We may try to check in with Haydad a little bit later this afternoon, or we may just uh, tell him to have a, a great weekend and, uh, and catch up on Monday. We're glad to have you along. Uh, Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer and you've got land financing needs, maybe you're buying a new piece of property, maybe it's equipment needs, you got to get a new tractor, a cotton picker, a combine, a spray rig, trailers, whatever it is, or maybe it's crop loans, or maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. Whatever your needs are as a farmer, just know this. A couple of things. No, know these two things. Number one, Mississippi Land Bank has been working with farmers financing land for a century. 100 years. And number two, they understand the farming business. A lot of people have been involved in the agriculture business that are at Mississippi Land Bank, or are currently involved in the agriculture business at Mississippi Land Bank. So they understand your needs, and they will work hard uh, with you to uh, solve the issues that uh, that you have. Mississippi Land Bank, online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. So as we roll into the 4 o'clock hour, uh, a couple of things to get to. Right now, we are going to fast-forward an hour from uh, normal. Normally, it's 5 o'clock when you would hear the college football fix, but today, because of some guests and moving things around, we'll give you the college football fix right now. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough, but don't stop there. Scoot down to your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Test drive one today. I promise. If you've never been in an F-150, you're going to fall in love with it. Maybe you're a truck guy that's just had a different brand of truck. It's time to switch to Ford. I can personally attest, best truck on the road. So good news for DK Metcalf, former Ole Miss wide receiver who has projected, uh, I'm sorry, um, he has made himself available for the draft. Uh, He was a projected first-round pick, underwent neck surgery on the 20th of October, and earlier today he was cleared for all football activity without limitations. That's according to Dr. Kevin Foley, who performed the surgery on DK Metcalf. DK is now in Phoenix training at Exos to get ready for the NFL Combine and will take part in all of the Combine activities. So redshirt sophomore this past year, you remember, hurt his freshman year, ended up redshirting that season, played 
uh, last year and this year, but his season was cut short. Led the Rebels with five touchdown receptions and was second on the team in both catches and receiving yards at the time of his injury. 6'4", 230 pounds. Last year he had 39 catches for 646 yards and seven touchdowns. So he's going to go to the combine, Rippy, and he's going to look like Adonis. You know, they, they sometimes call it the Underwear Olympics, and he is, you know, he's going to look like that guy. And then he is going to presumably run a 4440, and he's going to bench press 225 pounds, what, about 30 times? I don't know what his vertical jump's going to be. Probably pretty high. Crazy athletic. He's going to be a first-rounder, right? One would assume so. But, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, you never know with these type of things and teams' needs and that. But you would think so, right? Because this was the one big caveat when talking about how he's going to test if he's healthy and it sounds like he's healthy. Um Really a little bit ahead of when I thought he'd be. I thought he might cut it a little close in terms of being cleared for everything in the combine. So that's certainly good news. So, you know, if he's fully healthy now, you would assume he's going to test. I mean, it's safe to say he's going to test off the charts and his draft stock will rise. I don't know what they will rise to as far as the range, but you would think he'd be a first-round pick, right? I mean, look, the guy broke his neck. I don't know that I've said it that plainly on the radio. He broke his neck. And you hear that and you go, broke his neck. What do you mean? He's not paralyzed. No, they're, they're varying degrees of it. But he broke his neck in October and had surgery in October. And we're in January and he has gotten a full, clean, no restrictions bill of health from the physician that performed his surgery. And he's about to go compete with the best athletes in the world. Are, are injuries going to be a concern? Yeah, maybe. But don't you have to look a little bit deeper than just, oh, this is a guy that gets injured and kind of take a closer look at the two injuries that he's had and go, those are both kind of freak deals. I mean, he messed up his foot as a freshman, and then he was in on a special teams play, and he came down awkwardly on that concrete hard turf at War Memorial Stadium in Little Rock and broke his neck. I don't know how many NFL teams are going to put WR number one out on special teams to block people. That's probably what was lost when we were discussing all of this. What was he doing on a special teams play? You think it was simply they just didn't have anybody adequate? I mean, the, the depth on that on that team last year and the year before, the, the issues of depth were, I guess, under-discussed. They were very real. That team didn't have very many bodies at certain positions. Another injury or two, especially in the defensive secondary, and they were going to have to move guys that had never played defense before over to defense just to have a warm body in a position. So they didn't really have much there. Probably so. I mean, what was it, the Auburn game where I believe, it was either Auburn or South Carolina where I believe they dipped under 60 scholarship bodies. It was 59 or 58, which is kind of ridiculous. Almost 30 fewer players on the sideline than their opponent. I mean, the NCAA sanctions are real. I mean, they got hit 
luckily for well, them now, they'll be able to sign more than 25 to, to get some bodies back. But, I mean, they had, they had a, a rash of injuries, and they couldn't offer the full scholarship allotment. That, that hurt. Rippy, your question, though, is a reasonable one. What the heck was he doing in on special teams? And I know there were a lot of people that asked that and just thought that was the dumbest thing ever. I think the combination of depth and the fact that he was just kind of a freak animal, you aren't really worried about somebody running into him and getting hurt. But if you had it to do all over again, you certainly wouldn't have him out there at all. In that sense. Because what's the value of DK Metcalf on special teams versus, versus DK Metcalf in your offense? Well, that's a, a really good point. I was simply going to say versus the risk. Like, do you really want him getting hurt on a punt? Yeah. No, no, you don't. Um, at all, but he did. It was a well, it was a kickoff play, right? Yeah, I think it, I believe it was a kickoff, kickoff return. Play. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was kickoff return. It's not like he was on the kickoff team going down trying to make the tackle. So yeah, it was kickoff return, and he was a blocker there. And anyway, that's not uh, probably how he envisioned his uh, his old Miss career ending, but it is how it has ended. The good news is the story for him as a football player doesn't end there. Uh, back and healthy, and I, I'm telling you, man, I just I've been around a lot of SEC athletes. I, I don't mean that like that may have sounded silly. I've been on the sideline for a bunch of SEC football games and have seen these guys up close and personal. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to to sit in the stands and go, man, they look big, or, or see guys getting off the bus. But when you see them at, at field level and you see what Alabama's guys look like or Auburn's guys or Georgia or whatever, DK Metcalf is as physically imposing as any receiver that any SEC team has run out onto the field in the last five years. And, and that's not hyperbole or anything else. I just think when he gets to the combine, assuming the NFL doctors evaluate him and and everything plays out the way we expect it to, and he tests the way you expect him to, just based on what you've seen from him to this point of his career, teams are going to be salivating. Would, would you call me crazy if I said he ends up being the first wide receiver taken? Not even a little. If he tests, he should test very well. He's going to shoot up some boards. If he was able to maintain shape, recovering from a broken neck, which I've been there, I know how hard that is. He will shoot up draft boards because the lack of production, because of his injuries, have hindered people's ability to watch him and the physical freak that he is. Once he shows everybody, he'll shoot right up. Sports Talk Mississippi, more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. Weather's going to be a little better, like for a couple of days, isn't it? 
I left it behind, and the sun was not up when I flew out of Memphis, so I missed it out. Has it been a little better today? Yeah, and the weekend's going to be okay, and Monday especially will be nice for the first time in what feels like forever, but there's some kind of cold wave coming down from Canada where it's going to be like negative 65 in Minnesota, but it's going to push all what? the way. To, yes, I'm serious. I saw the graphic today watching the news. It can, it's going to be in the negative 60s in the United States early next week. And it'll push all the way down here to where there's like a snow threat and it's going to get really cold like into the teens here in Mississippi early next week. Oh, yeah, this is good for if you've got allergies or sinus issues. And I know doctors sometimes will say, oh, weather change doesn't actually have anything to do with it. I think that's a bunch of hogwash. So on Monday in North Mississippi, the high is 59. The wind is out of the south. But then the overnight low is 19. And the high on Tuesday is 28. Don't you love when the weather is not allowed to drink yet? (laughs) Yeah. So Monday night, 19 degrees for the overnight low. Tuesday night, 18 degrees for the overnight low. In North Mississippi. And this this is the most my father-in-law thing to say ever. So if you got like outdoor hydrants and whatever, need to make sure you get some of those little styrofoam cover things for them. Go ahead and take care of that before you get to um, before you get to Monday. Because if you wait until Monday night when the overnight low is 19 and you find yourself outside trying to put those little rubber band things around the, the hydrant knobs, you really feel like your fingers are going to fall off. Mm-hmm. And that's personal experience speaking gary meridian tells us to get our bread and milk (laughs) i don't see any snow in the forecast though now maybe it's changed i I remember two days ago it said we were supposed to get snow here in the the metro area but that has changed to where it's just going to be a cloudy day where it doesn't get above 30 lovely lovely uh, David in Oxford sends us a text message on the ceasefire text line. It says, go home, Mother Nature. You're drunk. <laughs> if only uh, we David had just so one hill where we could ski down. Just one. That's all we need. The entire state. Just one. We, we don't have to call it a mountain. Just one ski slope that we could use. Even when it gets that cold, you, most of these ski slopes make their own snow, right? So when we have that 30-degree day, how much fun would it be to road trip up to the hill and ski and actually ski in Mississippi. Borky, I got a buddy that skied on the Ole Miss campus a few years ago. Yeah, but even though like it's the hill not hills, over behind the student health center, he got his skis out. You know, he's a big, big ski guy and went at it. I know it's not exactly what you mean, though. No, I'm talking um, like an actual ski slope. Yeah. So David in Sochet tells us that he has picked up his Super Bowl prop bet booklet. It's from William Hill Sportsbook. It's 10 pages of small print. 10 pages of prop bets. And you wonder how it is that Vegas and sportsbooks and casinos and one like build those great big buildings with all that flash and bling. That's probably it. Rippy, I think I cut you off. What were you saying? 
No, I was just trying to think of the logistics of the ski slope. I was trying to figure, like, you'd need a mountain in this state first, right? Well, yeah. Now, I'll, I'll give you one possibility. So if, I'm going to say Greenwood is probably the best spot, although there are multiple spots. And the the phrase is where the hill breaks. So when you go from the hills of north and central Mississippi into the Mississippi Delta, there are a couple of spots. Now, I mean, are we talking Rockies? Of course not. But if you got a good, smooth ice, snow, you know, mixed, if you got to that spot on the road kind of where the hill breaks in Greenwood and goes from kind of up on a bluff, nice gradual slope down into the flatlands of the Delta, that might be a spot where you could pull it off. Any investors, give me a call. Uh, we have a, uh, a text message that says, Ski Iuka. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a suggestion for uh, Blue Mountain. And then Greg points. Okay, so kind of gone off the rails here, but that's okay. That's fine. Friday. It's Friday. So I'm married into a family that was in the Delta. All my family's in Oxford now. Uh, Jane's parents moved to Oxford. But when we were dating, Jane's family still lived outside of Clarksdale, out at Moon Lake. And I had not ever experienced a Delta snowfall, which on the surface, what do you say? You go, well, I bet there's great sledding in the Delta, let me tell you. What, if somebody pulls you from behind because you think of it as being all flat? But apparently, the Delta thing to do when it snows is to go to the levee. So the levee that runs, you know, about a mile or two inland, which is another thing that I didn't know. There, there's a lot that I didn't know about the Delta before marrying a Delta girl. When I thought the levee, I thought, well, if you go to the top of the levee and you look off, there's the river. Well, that's not exactly how it works. you got a bunch of land, and it's some of the greatest hunting land on the planet that is between the levee and where the actual river is. So a lot of folks from the Delta, when they would get snow, would go to the levee, where, one, you got a hill if you want to sled or whatever, but some people were, you know, a little more ingenuitive, and they had a four-wheeler out. So, so this one particular time I went, they had a four-wheeler, with a rope or chain or whatever that was pulling an upside-down car hood behind it, up and down and side to side on the levee. That's that's using what's at your disposal, right? Yeah. I almost died in a, uh, a sledding accident one time also. Oh, did you? Yeah. So Avent Park, which is in Oxford, uh, I was in high school still, and it was—I think it was the ice storm we had in 1997. There were a whole bunch of us that were out there, and there were about six or eight people that were piled on a like a twin mattress, and we were going to go sliding down the hill, down in the general direction of the playground. And somehow I ended up on the front of it, and there was a park bench that was set in concrete. So you think like industrial strength park bench, playground bench. So you've got like these, the, the poles that support the bench are probably three inches around and they're metal and they're set in concrete. And 
we got six or eight people and this thing's spinning sideways and I look up and I am hit like my head is headed directly to the the leg of this park bench and I'm going I'm about to die and I kind of bailed out and like whatever speed or momentum we have going into my hip just goes crashing into it I just laid there for a while it's like I'm not sure I can walk anymore which was a better alternative than my head crashing into it but anyway Probably would have straightened you up a bit. Perhaps. Uh, perhaps. And a friend of mine texts me that says I almost killed him, also driving on the ice <laughs> <laughs> one time somewhere along the way. You uh, you want to be part of the show. A bunch of you are texting 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Trey the mailman from Greenwood. Suggest the Lafleur Airport. He says it's uh, it's close to that in Carroll County, or at the, near the Carroll County line, and it's a perfect slope if you wanted to try and ski in Mississippi. So we've gotten a bunch of text. Apparently, I was right, which is it's fun to say because it doesn't happen very often. We are expecting snow at least in the northern half of the state on Monday night, Tuesday morning. Oh, really? My kids will be fired up about that. Hmm. Uh, Rippy, you're just hoping class gets canceled, right? That would be nice. I uh, we did have a snow day one time, and I got pulled on the back of like a rope, like in this like plastic container, because I was the smallest around our apartment complex, like on a truck. And then we hit a speed pump, and the whole thing destroyed. <laughs> the last time we had a good snow, we uh, we were in the park, and like there was. There's a trail that goes all the way around it. It's an asphalt trail, the walking park. And over on the backside of the park, there's kind of a good hill that goes down. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to really get some momentum. I had one of those plastic sleds. I didn't have any gloves on for whatever reason. So I took a flying leap. I was going to dive head first. I didn't know where exactly the asphalt path was. Knuckles hit the asphalt path. I get to the bottom, kind of pick up my hand. All of a sudden, we've got nothing but red snow beneath it. You gotta be careful when it's snowy and icy. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, give me the uh, give me the Braden Thornberry update as he has just finished up his second round. In San Diego at uh, at Torrey Pines, yeah, he shot a bogey-free sixty-seven today uh, on the north course. Just an excellent round overall. He uh, went out in thirty-two, four birdies, obviously no bogeys, and then came in uh, just at one under, but still finished at sixty-seven. He has in this round moved his position fifty spots, so he's now tied twenty-four, three shots ahead of the cut line. So. Very easy made cut in his first PGA Tour event as an actual professional. All right, T24, if that's where he finished, which obviously there's a lot of golf to play, 24th place as a standalone spot would pay out $68,160. Wouldn't be altogether bad. What if he moved up? What if he moved up and finished solo 15th? Hundred twenty-seven thousand eight hundred. 
He would make another jump five spots if he got to 10th, $191,700. And you remember when he played in the FedEx in Memphis two years ago, he finished T4 in this event, fourth place as a standalone finisher, is $340,800. It's a $7.1 million purse, and the winner's cut is 18%, so that's $1,278,000. Talking real money right there, friends. Morky, you threw out an idea earlier that I would like for you to uh, circle back to with regard to NCAA athletes playing in events while they are amateurs yeah you have in select circumstances they will they can either play in golf tournaments if they're a golfer um gymnasts can compete for team usa soccer players things like that any athlete that can compete as an amateur and earn a paycheck Right now, they have to just forego the money. Brayden Thornberry finished tied for fourth in the FedEx St. Jude Classic in Memphis, and that would have been a check for, give or take, about $300,000. He had to just say no thanks to keep his amateur status. I think a good compromise would be to allow them to accept the money but put it in some kind of bank account to where they can't touch it until after their eligibility has been exhausted. So allow the amateur to accept the money that they've earned but keep their amateur status by not accepting it until after their eligibility has been exhausted. So basically, you just put it in escrow, and, I mean, here's a novel concept. Not only do you put it in escrow, but it's in some sort of a low-yield savings account that generates just a little bit of an in- a little bit of interest also. Yeah. Like that swimmer, Katie Ledecky, I think was her name. Where she she was winning, yeah, at Michigan. She was winning gold medals by I mean, impossible to believe lengths, and she could have signed all kinds of endorsement deals. That would have been a perfect example. She earned it. She's competing at the highest level, but still wants to go to college. Allow her to represent her country and be an Olympian, reap the benefits of it, but keep her amateur status by putting it in escrow, like you said, and wait till she's done with college. Rippy, what's the um, what's the drawback to a plan like that? Um, I mean, on the surface, I don't see how there really is one. I mean, what you're doing, I mean, I mean, I guess it would make the amateur status in golf or really in sports in general a little more murky because it's like eventually you did earn and accept the money later on, which like I don't think anyone necessarily has a problem with. Or most people, at least. But it would make, like, what exactly amateur status is a little bit murkier. This, at least, though, from... We're not diving into a pay-the-players argument, but when that's brought up, it's, well, what's stopping Alabama from getting all their richest boosters who own companies to just sponsor these athletes? I understand that argument. This is that they have earned by competing, not that some booster that owns a company is giving them. So this would, I think, well, now, at least but, clear but, but the water a little. But you switched over. You, yeah, I did you say switched over when you were talking about Katie Ledecky because yeah. you started to talk about an endorsements there. I mean, you, I maybe you got to am- limit it to. I just meant amateur status in golf, like particular to that sure. sport. I guess. No, so I get I, what you're saying. Well, um, you know, you win the U.S. Amateur, you get an invitation to Augusta. I guess you're top two at the U.S. Amateur. You get an invitation to Augusta. If you turn pro 
between the time you qualify for Augusta as an amateur, you lose that invitation. Unless you, you, you have to then qualify for Augusta differently. So if you win the U.S. Amateur in August or September, end of August, I guess it is, if you want to play in Augusta as an amateur and, and get the honor of playing with the previous year's defending champion or the previous year's champion in the first two rounds, you, you can't turn pro. you you got to stay an amateur for another six months. Um. Maybe there's some guys that would trade that. There might be some guys that would trade that opportunity. I don't think there are many. But if you're later into your career and you've not had success in the U.S. Amateur and you're not chasing that or, or you got circumstances where you need to be able to win money, I, I got no problem with it at all. Maybe we should so go to these meetings shoots five under. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how well I would be received at one of those NCAA forums. We've got some good ideas. Let's go up there and pitch some. Maybe they'll give us a cut of that billion dollars they make on the basketball tournament. Yeah, I'm sure they will. (laughs) So Thornberry shoots 67 today. He is tied for 24th and 6 under for the tournament. That's good stuff. You, um, I, I guess the last baseball poll of note, I don't know that I've seen the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association preseason top 35. It may be out. I don't know. But the coaches poll has come out, and the combination of LSU and Vanderbilt at the top remains. I, I think every single poll has either LSU 1, Vandy 2, or Vandy 1, LSU 2. Here's the interesting thing about those. LSU went 39 and 27 last year. Vanderbilt went 35 and 27 last year. But those are projected to be the top two teams in the country. Vanderbilt was really young last year. LSU fought some injuries. Texas at number three. Then it's Texas Tech at number four, who we've talked about. Mississippi State will face in uh, in Frisco in week three. One of three teams. Texas Tech, Sam Houston State, and can't remember the third. Reigning national champs, Oregon State at number five, then North Carolina six, UCLA seven, Louisville eight, Stanford nine, and Ole Miss number ten. So out of the preseason top ten, Ole Miss will face LSU three-game series, Florida in a three-game series, and Louisville in two midweek games. Arkansas is number 12. Georgia is 13. Mississippi State is 15. We've also got Auburn in there at number 20. And it looks like that rounds out the SEC teams. Southern Miss would have been 27 if it kept going. They are second in the others receiving votes category. Southern Miss coming off a 44-18 and 18 year. And they would be 27 in the coaches' poll going into the season. Guys, I don't have all of the polls in front of me, but if you took all the polls that are out there and you averaged Ole Miss's, you got like a composite ranking for Ole Miss, what would they be? 12, 13? 
Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, 12, 13. Okay. And I think if you did the exact same thing for Mississippi State, you took a composite of all the polls that have come out. So perfect game and D1 baseball and the coaches poll, Baseball America, Collegiate Baseball, which I probably wouldn't include them in the composite. I think Mississippi State would be about 16, I think. 15, 16, 17 in that range. And then Southern Miss, from a composite standpoint, would kind of be in the others receiving votes category, so just outside the top 25. And so with with good reason. Let's get that snow in here this weekend. Let's deal with those 28-degree temperatures and the overnight lows of 18. Let's do that this weekend and next weekend. But then after that, get out of here because it's baseball time. Yeah, just Today was the first official day of practice. Well, as the National Weather Service has been saying for a while, opening day in baseball has to be cold. Isn't that right, Richard? Uh, No. No, that's not exactly. um, I think if you will look at the historical data, you usually get a break on opening day. 70 and partly sunny for opening day. And then, you know, the rest of the weekend's a little bit of a crapshoot. I mean, it might be 40 on Sunday. You're not buying it, are you? I believe you. We're really close, really close to being able to get a long-range forecast that will include opening day. Really close. Three weeks from today, college baseball. Welcome back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just after 5 o'clock on this Friday afternoon, welcome to the weekend. You have made it, and if you haven't made it yet, maybe you've only got an hour or so of your work week left. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad. Slipped out a little bit early today, had some technical issues with him. We're glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Borky, are we ready to go? All right, let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favrates.com, and go with the home team and check in with the man who has a great eye for what's going on on the floor, especially with this year's Mississippi State basketball team, Richard Williams, color analyst for the Mississippi State Radio Network. Richard, happy Friday. Thank you, Richard. Same to you. And I wish my eye was as great as you say it is. Well, I, I've listened, and I feel like I know what's going on based on listening to uh, you with Neil describing the action. You guys do a really, really good job. What, what's Mississippi State got to do to make folks feel like things are going the way they thought they were going to go? Well, yeah, I think there are a couple of things, Richard. Uh, I, I think the uh... – Long three-point shots that, that uh, the Bulldogs settle for sometimes, uh, that, that's just, it's not fun to watch uh, sometimes for the fans. You know, 40% of Mississippi State field goal attempts are three-point attempts. Now, that's not bad if those three-point attempts are open three-pointers, if they come after some penetration, uh, drawing the defense and pitching it out to an open shooter or, or a really good shooter coming off of a down screen or a double screen. 
the problem in the Kentucky game in particular was they took so many early three-point shots off the dribble. Uh, some of them guarded three-point shots, and the ball didn't go inside. Uh, the, the starting power forward and center, uh, Eric Holman and Abdullah Dudu, got two shots between them, and both of those were by Eric Holman. They didn't score a point. At your starting power forward and center did not score a point. And so I think sometimes the ball has to go inside and maybe not just settle for three-point shots. An example of that, you know, Kentucky likes to play really fast. They're up and down the floor. They're so athletic in transition. But in that game, Mississippi State took 61 shots. Kentucky only took 59. So that kind of gives you an idea of how fast we were playing, a little bit out of control. And, and I think you just have to get a little more into control. And at practice today, Coach Allen really emphasized getting the ball inside. So I'm anxious to see tomorrow uh, if that translates into the, the post guys getting some more touches. You know, we talked about those numbers that, that you just mentioned on Wednesday, and it feels like you would accidentally take four or five shots between those two guys that are starters. Like a ball would just bounce in their direction and you'd, you'd throw it up in the It's almost mind-boggling to say that your four and your five combined for two shots for an entire game. It's unbelievable. Abdul didn't get a shot. The starting center did not get a shot. Right. And he got the ball uh, on offensive rebound. He got one offensive rebound, had a chance to go back up ball strip, which is an issue that he continues to have. Because when he gets a rebound or when the ball is entered to him with a pass, he tends to bring the ball down a little bit low instead of chinning the ball. Uh, you know, we used to try to teach our guys, our post guys, when the ball comes to you, you get an offensive rebound, snatch it and chin it. Get it really close so it can't get stripped. So he did get one offensive rebound, but he got it stripped. And I think one other time the ball went to him in an offensive set, and again he got it knocked out of his hand. So... Uh, he just didn't get – he had three turnovers and no shots. And then Eric Holman took two shots. The first one of those was like a 28-footer with 20 seconds going on the shot clock. I looked at Neil and just kind of mouthed to Neil, what was that? I, did he think the shot clock was running down or what? I don't know what it was, but that's it. That's the shots they got. So, you know, you just have to get more production out of those two guys. Richard Williams on your radio. We're talking some Mississippi State basketball. They host Auburn tomorrow night. A huge game, not just for Mississippi State, but for Auburn as well. Like, like from a from a metrics standpoint, and I don't know how far you go off into the the analytics, but Ken Palm has got Mississippi State in the top thirty. The net ranking still has Mississippi State at number thirty one. So maybe it's on the edge of panic time. But if Mississippi State can get a couple of wins, all of a sudden you're just right back in the middle of this NCAA tournament conversation, and you're still only a third of the way through league play. Yeah, I, I think I don't think it's panic time, but I do think that the, tomorrow's game is, is, is a huge game. It's, and, you know, if there's such a thing as a must win in January, that this one could be labeled that because I know you probably looked at the schedule. After tomorrow's game, Richard, next week we go to – Alabama, who's playing really well right now, and then to our rivals, Ole Miss, already has a win over us on our home court. So I think tomorrow night's game is a huge game for Mississippi State. It's big for Auburn. Both teams are two and three in the league. Tomorrow night after this game, one team is going to be two games under 500 already in league play, and that's not good because these are supposed to be two of the top four teams in the league going into the season. Now, sometimes those preseason prognostications don't work out so well, uh, but just on paper, uh, you know, both teams are experienced, got a lot of players returning. 
Uh, Mississippi State has everybody returning. That Xavier Stapleton replaced him or Reggie Perry, a McDonald's All-American. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a critical game for Mississippi State tomorrow night. Will the big guy for Auburn, Austin Wiley, not being there or maybe not being 100%, does that make a difference for Mississippi State and maybe making a difference in, in where we started this conversation with really trying to force the ball inside some? Well, maybe uh, because he is, you know, he's a big guy, 6'11", 260. Uh, he can block shots. He has 28 blocks on the season. He's missed some games. Uh, so he, he's a force around the basket. And uh, when Mississippi and, and Mississippi State scores a lot of points in the paint. Now, I don't mean to imply we don't score points in the paint, but it's not throwing it to our post guys. And it's not drawing fouls. It's driving the ball to the basket, in, in particular, Quindary Weatherspoon, or, or scoring in transition. So we get points in the paint. But my, my issue is the, the three-point shot, we've talked about 40% of our shots are three-point field goal attempts. And, and you know, if you make one, uh, people say, well, that's equivalent to uh, maybe 50, 51, 52% of two-point shots. That's great. But in a crucial situation in games, you're down two uh, with eight minutes to go in the game. Do you want to take a quick shot where the chances of missing it are six out of ten or try to get it inside where the chances of making it are probably 7 out of 10. And that's why I think you've got to have some kind of post-up game in those crucial situations. And, and Austin Wiley probably would uh, take away some of that, that uh, post-up game and him not being in there. But now they still got a couple of guys who can block shots. I mean, they're very athletic. Yeah. Uh, Macklemore and, and some of those guys are big-time jumpers, so they can still block shots. Uh, but, but I think having, if Wiley doesn't play, I do think that's an advantage for Mississippi State. Richard Williams on your radio, we're talking to Mississippi State and Auburn. You, you got to see that Kentucky team up close, and it felt like they kind of turned it on down the stretch. How, how good do you think they are, maybe in comparison to where they were at the beginning of the year and where they could be when it's all said and done? They're, they're really good. I mean, they're really good. Of course, you know, they've got so many freshmen, and it just takes a while for those freshmen to acclimate themselves to college basketball. Uh, the two wing players are freshmen. Hero and, and Johnson are fabulous players. They're fantastic. And Hero can really shoot it. And then Johnson's a great athlete. They've got a point guard. Uh, this Hagens, I think his name, Darius uh, Ashton Hagens. Right. Uh, he's like a one-man fast break. He's so fast and quick when he gets the ball. And he's not typical of a lot of young players, Richard. He doesn't look for a shot, believe it or not. He's, he's one of the few guys I've seen come into the league as a freshman not looking for their shot all the time. He's looking to get the ball to the other guys, and he is really, really good. And then they've got P.J. Washington, who's uh, you know a sophomore, 6'8", 230. Uh, they just have great size. Travis, who transferred in from Stanford, twice all-Big 12 player or Pac-12 player out there. So uh, they have size, they have speed, uh, they're athletic, and, and they're getting better because the freshmen are starting to figure it out and, and respond to Calipari's coaching. You know, you you coaches always give us the you can only do one game at a time thing, and, and I've always had trouble kind of wrapping my mind around it. But this year in the SEC, if you focus on anything other than the game in front of you, and, and I'm saying this by looking at the next six on the schedule for Mississippi State, Auburn at home, at Bama, at Ole Miss, LSU at home, Kentucky at home, Alabama at home. That is a daunting six-game stretch. There's no question about it, and I think you know most coaches say, "Well, we look at it one game at a time." I don't, I don't think they're being truthful when they say that. But coaches know the schedule. I promise you, they know mm-hmm. what's coming up. 
But when they say we do it one game at a time, that normally means we're preparing for one game at a time. Although they may do some things preparing for another opponent uh, defensively or, or maybe put in a special play they think will work against somebody without telling the team that that's what they're doing. So they're all preparing for the next game. The coaches know the upcoming schedule. I can promise you that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenging one for Mississippi State to get started tomorrow night at home against the Auburn Tigers. Richard, always appreciate your time uh, trying to try catch you on the radio tomorrow night. Thanks a lot. That's Richard Williams, color analyst, alongside Neil Price on the Mississippi State Radio Network. Bulldogs and the Auburn Tigers tomorrow night at the Hump. We've got more coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Getting ready for the weekend. Big weekend in Starkville. Going to be a big weekend in Oxford as well as Ole Miss is hosting Iowa State as part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Randy Peterson covers Iowa State for the Des Moines Register. And, uh, Randy, happy Friday to you. Appreciate a few minutes of, of your time this afternoon. H- how good is Iowa State this year? Well, first of all, thanks, guys, for having me on. Um, I Iowa State is pretty good. Um, they've, you know, they, they've reached four, they're 14 or 15, 14 victories right now without, now without Linda Wigginton, their best player last year, um, being on top of his game. He's missed 10 games because of a strained um, right foot, uh, but he's been back for seven or eight games, and, and nonetheless, he's not been playing like he played a year ago when he was one of the top freshmen or maybe the top freshman in the Big 12 Conference. Um, he's not even starting right now. And in that, and you can make that case for, for Cameron Lard, Iowa State's six-foot-nine-inch post player, who was one of the top post players in the Big 12 last year. He's a shot-blocking machine, a rim protector, as they call it. He was suspended for the first month of the season, and he doesn't start either and he's just now coming into his own he's got a little bit of a foul problem when he gets out onto the floor um he thinks he's got to be all world right away but uh so those two guys really have not played up to what they played last year nonetheless iowa state is is uh 14 and 5 and 4 and 3 in the big 12 and already knocked off kansas already knocked off texas tech on the road knocked off two um, top ten teams. So yeah, I think Iowa State is 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 pretty good, and and really close to picking up one on the road at Kansas earlier this week. Randy Peterson uh, talking some Iowa State as Ole Miss will host Iowa State tomorrow. Randy, we've talked a lot this year about how the SEC is is finally different. That it's taken a while to get the league to this point where it's respectable nationally, and and has really upgraded. I look at the Big Twelve and almost without exception, look it looks to me like it's the exact same way, where it's just a grind every single night and, and there are no nights off. Is that an accurate outside-looking-in impression? Oh, without question. Iowa State plays its, its round robin. I mean, all ten teams are going to play each other, home and home, um, home and sure. home. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you that, that, it is, that it is a grind. Um, you know, with the SEC, with Tennessee doing what it's doing right now, Auburn doing what it's doing right now. Um, you know, it, it's, 
I, I think I think you're right. I think I think you've got uh, um, you know teams that 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 are very that are very similar, and um, you know everybody knows everybody. I mean, it, it, it's I mean, like Steve Prohm worked with worked with Coach Davis. Um, it, it, so it, it, Missouri, for example, used to be in the Big Twelve um, back in the heyday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's there's so much familiarity going on right now in, in in college basketball, whether it be like I said, guys coaching against each other, like like Steve and and and, and Kermit did, and or teams seeing each other so much on television but uh yeah i, I think there's, i think there's a great similarity i'm just looking at the iowa state and you know miss stats i mean they're they're darn near mirror of each other so yeah there it's i think it's whoever wins isn't going to do it much by much more than three or four points on saturday randy peterson from the des moines register this is year five i think it's four or five for this SEC Big 12 or Big 12 SEC Challenge, however you want, yeah. you want to term it, how do you feel about this event? Do you think this has got some staying power, that, that it's been a good thing or a good enough thing for both leagues, that it's a, a contract that will continue to get extended? I, I think so. The only problem I have with it is, is when it's scheduled in January, you know, in the middle of both conference seasons. I, I'm a purist, I guess, a traditionalist. I think that that um, January, February, March, or, or so you'd January, rather see it in February, November or December. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I'd rather see that in case of some, you know, in, in place of some North Cupcake State or, or something, or something along those lines. But I get it. I, I, I totally get it. When you've got a chance for, you know, they try to match the teams up evenly. When you've got Kentucky, Kansas, for example, playing at at Kentucky on Saturday, you know, you don't want to pass that up. Um, you know, it, it's an ESPN's been pumping the heck out of it all week. Um, and they will, you know. There, I think I would guess that their their game day setup is. I think it's probably at Kentucky um, tomorrow. Yeah, so, so in that respect, yeah, it's it's wonderful from a standpoint of 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 publicity, um, you know, and for 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 a lot of teams, it's a chance to to build on a on a on a on an NCAA resume. For example, if Iowa State should happen to to be successful tomorrow. Um, it would be Iowa State's third top 25 win and second on the road. So in Iowa State's case, yeah, it's it's very beneficial if they win. And, and and in a time where everybody's talking about quadrants and you know yeah. top 30 wins uh, that that they're going to be looking at, this is a big one for both of these teams. Tell me a little bit more about, and I may mispronounce the the first name, Mariel Shyock, uh, Mariel Shyock. Okay. Twenty points, he, he took, five rebounds, yeah. and when you watch Iowa State, it just looks like he's everywhere. He is everywhere. He's a shooter. He's he's a guy. Um, yeah, he transferred from from Virginia. He sat out last year. While sitting out last year, he got his degree. He's taking you know a couple courses now that he has to take, um, you know, to, to obviously to stay eligible. And they're online courses. I, I I know that that you've heard this cliche as many times as I have that. That these guys are are constantly in the gym. Well, it's true with Mariel Shayok. He is constantly in the gym, and I talked to him about it the other day. And he said, "What else does he have to do? He's got two online courses. Um, you know, that's that's it. So he's got <laughs> nothing else to do." And he transferred from Virginia because because, as you guys know, Virginia plays a very different kind of different brand of basketball. Not that it's wrong. They just stress defense. They right. stress. 
um, you know, um, honoring each possession. They don't get up and down the floor as quickly as, as a lot of other teams. Shayok has a wealth of offensive potential, which he's showing this year. He was he felt like he was wearing a straitjacket in Tony Bennett's um, Coach Bennett's style. So he transferred, and and he's Steve Prom is giving him the keys to the team. Um, like you said, he's averaging 19 and a half points or 20 points. He is leading the Big 12. He's he's um, in that, after in 19 games, he's 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 been spectacular, and he'll shoot it. He will continue to shoot it. He will not get flustered when he misses. He, this kid is a, this kid is a shooter. Um, kid, I say kid. He's a he's a senior, but but uh, yeah, he's he's very good, and he's he's a he's a good guy, and he's 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 a deadly from the corner from either corner. He's deadly. Well, it's going to be fun to watch, and should be a fun matchup. Two pretty evenly matched teams. It's Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register, Ole Miss, and Iowa State. Eleven o'clock Central Time games on ESPN tomorrow. Should be a great atmosphere. Sold out as well. So, uh, Randy, really appreciate some of your time this afternoon. My pleasure. It was fun being on with you guys. Call me anytime. Thank you very much. It's Randy Peterson from Des Moines, the Des Moines Register, columnist, uh, covers Iowa State. If you want to follow Randy on Twitter, you can at Randy Pete P E T E. Borky, have have you watched Iowa State play? You know, they've been on Big Monday a couple of times, and you know, have had some games that are you know Monday night or Tuesday night games when maybe you're not locked in on the SEC. Yeah, I, I watched them almost beat Kansas at Kansas the other night. So the the idea of course it'll still be a good road atmosphere in oxford but man that's a team that's not going to be phased even if you pack that place out and you're allowed the whole night if they went to fall gallon Fieldhouse and played as well as they did uh, Ole miss is going to have to show up and play yeah oh there's no question about that and i think they're going to have to play disciplined as well uh, you know R- rippy you talked about it and i know i know kermit didn't really take the bait where you were going with the emotion question on uh, on Wednesday night, but maybe even more so than that, Ole Miss is going to have to be a little more disciplined than they have been the last game or so. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I, I'm not sure how much though that translated to what happened Tuesday night. Though, I mean, they, I mean, they just got killed inside and really kind of bullied and pushed around a little bit by a physical team that that really wanted to win. And I definitely think they're going to have to be more disciplined. I didn't think they guarded particularly well, but to me it was just getting dominated on the glass. And, you know, Iowa State's one of the better offensive teams in the country, and you're going to have to be pretty sound on the glass and not give them multiple opportunities at baskets. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly agree with that. We've got more coming up with you as we... Roll through the last half hour of Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks to Richard Williams from Mississippi State and Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register for joining us. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.